This might clear up some sauces for you. Um, yeah, it looks like Worcester, but it's Worcester. Worcester. <laughs> now, how do you say that? We have that one. How do you say that? That's right. We conquered, right? <laughs> conquered mass. Now, let me show you. We have some of our own down here, don't we? We have some southern words. Now, if I were looking at that, and I was from New England, I might say Farragut. But we don't say Farragut, do we? It's Farragut. See another one. Now, if you're in Kentucky, how do you say that? Louisville, right? I mean, that's Louisville. Now, this is one of my favorite southern words here. Bold. <laughs> that's right. One of, my, one of my favorite memories when we first moved back to the south was my mom talking to Jess and saying, have you ever had bold peanuts? And Jess just got this look on her face and was like, what? And I was just getting to watch it unfold. My mom said it again, slower. Have you ever had bold peanuts? And I, I finally, I intervened and said, she's saying boiled, honey, boiled peanuts. But of course, that only gets you so far because that's strange enough as it is if you've ever had boiled peanuts. And of course, nothing gives you away as not local as, the, yeah. The second somebody says, I was just in Maryville, you know. They're not from here. It's Maryville. Well, this morning, my point is not to redraw the lines between the North and the South. My point is just that when you're different, when you're a stranger in a strange land, when you're not local, when you're not from here, eventually, those differences will surface, right? And you'll reveal your true colors. And you'll show that you're not from around here. And in those moments, maybe it's a word, maybe it's something you wear. I can think of numerous deacons meetings where, you know, I thought I knew somebody, thought they knew the Lord, and then they showed up in an Alabama sweatshirt. And uh, it's, it's, <laughs> yes, <laughs> well, it's moments like that when you reveal your true colors, and we know you're not from around here. But in those moments, you know, we're exposed. And, and you know, we, we chuckle here, and there's some funny differences that we have. But sometimes being exposed is very uncomfortable. And we don't like it. And, and being different is a little scary. I remember uh, my freshman year of college, there was a cheesehead who used to walk the campus. Do you know what I'm talking about? A Packers fan, and he had a big cheesehead hat. And I, we must have had a class at a similar time, and... Whatever, but I saw him often walking down this first year with this big cheese head. And he was, hey, I'm from Green Bay. It's my first year, and I'm not from here. But then after a while, if you've been on campus, you know that we're not shy. And so people let him know that we're not Green Bay fans down here. And he got a lot of ridicule, and I heard people shouting at him as he would walk. And eventually, that hat disappeared, Right? It was too costly to be different. It was too costly to stick out. So he buried that hat, buried his colors. 
And of course, sometimes it's more subtle, right? I remember uh, as, I would, as our team would play soccer, uh, that was my sport in high school, playing soccer, and on numerous occasions, our coach pulling us aside at halftime and complaining, he said, you're not playing your game. You ever heard that from a coach? He said, you're playing their game. You're blending in to their style. Well, we didn't set out to do that, but it was happening. It was just too tough to be different. It was easier to adjust to this other team than play our game. And sometimes that happens. Sometimes it's costly to be different. Sometimes it's costly to stand out. And so we are tempted to bury who we are, hide our accent, and mask our true identity. Now in the passage we're gonna look at this morning, we're gonna encounter some believers who are tempted to do that very same thing. They're tempted to bury their identity. They're tempted to hide who they really are. It's proving very costly to be different. The last several weeks we've been looking at the letter of Peter, the Apostle Peter, to uh, a small group of Christians in Asia Minor. And they were a persecuted minority. And so it looked so much easier just to blend in. They didn't want to stand out as believers. But in this passage we're going to read this morning, we're going to see Peter again underline this idea of you are different. You are an exile, right? We've seen this several times already, this theme of exile through the book of Peter. He says, you are different. You're not from around here. And there's a lot at stake that you stay different. It's very important that you don't give in and blend in. You've got to own your differences. So let's look at this, this little passage together. First Peter chapter 2. First Peter chapter 2. And, and actually last week, Sam went into the first few verses here. We're going to pick up in the second paragraph here in verse 4. First Peter chapter 2, verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. 
Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Now, what an amazing passage, right? My, my complaint this week has been, you could preach a sermon on each phrase in there. Each phrase is such a wonderful thought about who we are now that we are in Christ. But for the sake of time, we're just gonna stick to the basic argument that Peter gives here. And we'll, we'll touch on some of these different differences that we have as believers in Christ, but we'll have to go quickly. But the first thing I want you to see is just the broad point that you are different. If you are in Christ, you are different. Years ago, I had a, uh, the privilege of sitting in with a student who was giving his life to Christ and, and, and to listen to him pray. We were sitting in the hub offices over here one, I think it was a Wednesday night, and, he, and the Lord was working in his heart. And so I had given him a little bit of language, uh, how to pray to the Lord and, and how to kind of turn to the Lord. But he fumbled through it. You know, he just gave his own words and talked about, uh, you know, turning from sin, turning to the Lord. And it's just a sweet little prayer. But I'll never forget, when he was done praying, he looked up and smiled. He said, I feel different. And he was different. He was different. Now, other than that smile, he didn't look any different. He was still just a teenage boy. He was still sitting on that couch in that same office. The hub hadn't shaken. A halo had not appeared around his head. But he was changed. He was radically changed. And in fact, years ago, he actually ended up moving away shortly after that. And years ago, he looked me up, tracked me down, called me, and said, I'm walking with the Lord. I'm in church. Why? Because he was different. He was changed. He was night and day different. And so often as Christians, we fail to recognize just this basic point that we are different. The change is so radical. The change is so true and genuine, but so often we don't fully understand it. And so Peter here just tries to help us get our head around just how different we are if we are in Christ. So again, I'd love to preach a sermon on each one of these, but we're just gonna kind of hit these quickly. The different ways that we are, in fact, different. Look, look back at the passage here. Look at some of the things that he says to us. He says, when you come to Jesus, you are being built into his project, right? You're being included into his project, verse four and five. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. He says, you're now in the project. And I love what we just sang, Christ our cornerstone. He is our cornerstone here. The Messiah was the cornerstone and Jesus now is the first stone laid in this new building, this new temple, the, the church, the people of God. And we are now incorporated into that building project. Imagine that. 
Now, Jess and I, when we were first married, we used to pop over to uh, New York City from time to time and go visit the Met. Have you ever been to the Met? Little uh, tip for you college students. Uh, the entrance fee is actually a suggested donation if you read the fine print. So, you know, we'd give them a dollar and uh, go to the Met. And uh, we'd love to go there. And, I, and it was amazing just to see all the art over all the years, and it's just huge. But you could get, you know, right up to a Picasso or right up to a Rembrandt. I mean, a lot of times it'd just be hanging right on the wall, no rope. You could just go right, I mean, just this close to a work of art, to a masterpiece. Now, there are guards around, but you could get really close. But imagine if I, you know, kind of looked around, pulled out a Sharpie, and said, you know, I did have that art class in middle school. And uh, this painting would really benefit from just a little touch from Derek. Can you imagine what would happen if I did that? I would be tackled, right? I would probably make national headlines. Derek Grizz, Sharpies, a Picasso, right? But now, Jesus, the master builder, God, this incredible architect, there's no caution tape. There's no stay away. There's no let daddy finish. It's as you come to him, you too are being built into this project. You can join this project. Come on in. Me? With all my flaws? My little Sharpie? Come on in. I'm making a beautiful tapestry that you can be woven into. You can be a part of this new building project. And then he uses this incredible language, right? This language of priests and offering spiritual sacrifices. So not everyone in Israel was a priest. It was a, a very set-apart vocation. And now he's using that language for all of us. How different are we? So different that we're now included in his new project of redemption. Peter also says the honor of Christ is extended to you. So the honor that belongs to Christ is now extended to you. Look at verse six and seven. It says, for it stands in scripture. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Verse seven, so the honor is for you who believe. Now, I want you to look back at verse six. You see that word precious, the, the English doesn't quite get it right, and commentators kind of complain that precious is probably not the best word there. The word there in the Greek really has more the similar meaning of just honor again. It's not the identical word for honor in verse seven, but it's, it's more same, same ballpark. Both are honor, not precious and honor. And so the commentators have complained that we, we kind of miss the parallel that Peter's trying to draw here. But he's saying that just as Jesus is chosen and honored or precious, honorable, special. So now those who believe get that honor, are special. That's amazing grace. We're, we're extended the same honor that Christ received. And we see that throughout the New Testament. The same power that raised him from the dead now is working in us. This is unbelievable. 
How different are we? We are receiving the very grace and goodness that Jesus deserves. We're receiving it because of his work. Now at this point, I should note, just kind of as a side note, and it's an important side note, Peter does give a contrast here, right? What does he say right after this? Verse seven and eight. He says, so on the one hand, we have this beautiful picture. Christ as the cornerstone, you being incorporated into this new building project. The honor that Christ as cornerstone receives, you receive. But then Peter reminds us also that it's not a situation where you're either honored or you're neutral. You either follow Christ or you're left alone. He says, no, no, no. When God put down this cornerstone, Jesus Christ, what does he say? He says, it's like this huge rock came down in the middle of all of our lives. And for those who come to him in in faith and belief and trust and repentance, he says, now we're incorporated into it. We receive that same blessing. He says, but for those who say, I don't want it. He says, it becomes a stumbling block. What does he say? Verse seven, for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And so the idea is, again, as he set down the stone, it was both set for the rising and falling of many. And so there's only two ways to live. We are either being incorporated into this new project built on this cornerstone, or we will stumble. But again, Peter continues to talk about just how different we are. He also says, God called you out of darkness and change your heritage. He's changed our heritage. Look at verse nine now. Again, there's just a, a myriad of descriptors here that are, that are quite mind-blowing. Verse nine, he says, but you are now a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Now these names were reserved for Israel, for God's people, the nation of Israel, ethnic Israel. It was reserved for his people, this people group. And now it's being applied to us. So the first thing we see is as we read this, we'd say, hey, I recognize this language. It's from the Old Testament. This is what they, these are the different terms used to describe Israel. Now they're being applied to us. But also notice how each of these describes part of our life on this earth and how they've all, all these different parts have been redefined. How different we are in every aspect. What does he say? He says, you are a chosen race. You have a different heritage now. You have a different, different family tree now. So for those who maybe feel caught in a family of problems and sin and generational sin and brokenness and you say, my life's a mess, my family's a mess. He says, you're a part of a chosen race now. You are different. You are changed. You're a part of a new people. He says, you're a royal priesthood. We're talking about calling. We're talking about vocation, right? So you may have a job in real estate or you're in sales. He says, but you have another calling now. 
You are still those things, but you have yet a higher calling even within those things. And he's gonna unpack that later on in the letter. But even within these different roles we have on earth, we've been redefined by this higher vocation. We are priests under God. And then he says, you are a holy nation. So even our geopolitical setting is now trumped ultimately by our identity as a holy nation in Christ. And that's a challenge, right? That's something we should wrestle with. We're thankful for our nation. We're thankful for where the Lord's put us and yet also trying to keep in balance and yet our citizenship isn't here. Our citizenship is in heaven. We belong to a different kingdom and we wanna see this kingdom go to all the nations. So we thank God for our nation, but we try to hold on to, wrestle with, apply this idea that we are also now a holy nation from a different nation. And that's why Peter can say you're an exile. You're a resident alien. You, you live here, but you're from somewhere else. And then, of course, Peter ends with what I think may be the most uh, climactic and all-encompassing description. He says, you are now a people of God's possession. You're God's people. You belong to God. Look at verse 9 and 10. He says, but you are, and I'm going to skip over, a people for his own possession. Verse 10, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And like I said, this is perhaps the most all-encompassing description. How different are you? Well, you belong to someone else now. You belong to the Lord. You belong to God. Now, I think in our culture, at first we might be tempted to actually kind of bristle at the idea of belonging to someone, right? We don't like that idea. We say things like, well, nobody can own me, right? And if somebody owns you in basketball, that's a bad thing, right? But if you're a puppy in the pound... Belonging to someone is a good thing. Right, and Peter reminds us that this is not like everything was going great and now we belong to the Lord. He reminds us that you were without mercy, set to stumble, wandering, exiles with no hope of return. Says now you belong to the Lord. Now you belong to him. That's a wonderful thought. I talked to a a young man this week uh, over coffee and he said the most amazing thing. He told me that, uh, we were talking about his work and and, uh, the situation there, and he said that he irritated his boss because his boss could tell that this young man belonged to someone else. And it irritated him because he didn't have power over this young man. He knew he could only go so far. He could only push him so far. He could only get under his skin so much because this young man belonged to someone else. He belonged to the Lord. And so this kind of belonging is freedom. It is power. It is good news. We belong to someone else. We belong to the Lord. How different are we? We are now God's possession. We are God's people. We are radically different 
when we are in Christ. So that's part one. You really are different. You see how there's a lot in there, huh? I tried to just go through that quickly, but there's a lot there. It'd be fun to spend more time in that section. But you are different. That's his basic point. You are different. Now, why does he go through so much trouble to unpack all that and just lays out all these different descriptions? Why does he go through all that? Well, so he can make his next point. He says, if you are different, and we see that we are, now it makes sense that we should live differently. That's his second point here. You are different, so live differently. Now, this is where he started this section. We didn't read it. Uh, Sam read it last week. Uh, but this is where he began this section. This is where he ends this section. It's with this idea of living differently. You're to live differently. In verse one of this section, it started with, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Right, and Sam walked us through that last week. Put that stuff away. Crave the pure spiritual milk of God's word. So that's where he starts. Abstain from these things. Walk away from these things. Put these things away. Why? He launches into this whole description of because you're not from here. You're different. You're different. And then that's where he ends, verse 11. These are like bookends on his thoughts. Verse 11, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh. So that's the summary that's the summary of verses four through 10, is that you're sojourners, you're exiles, you're not from here. So act like where you're from. Don't bury your accent. Don't hide your colors. Don't live like this world. Live differently. Live differently. That's what we've been called to. Now again, this doesn't necessarily mean we wear funny hats. This doesn't mean that, that we get health and wealth because we're in Christ. This is an inner transformation, right? The two verses we just read were about moral change. We will be different. We will act different. We will live in a different way. We will love our neighbor. We will be selfless. We will be kind. We will be joy-filled. We'll be filled with peace. We'll be patient. We will be be different. So our difference is not necessarily that we have changed our geography, but we live in our place in a different way. It's not that we've changed our job, but we work in our job in a new way. We are different. We live differently. We live as holy people. We live as moral people. We live as ethical people, right? And that's what all the descriptions captured earlier, right? We said chosen race, royal priesthood, holy nation. All those things hit on tensions, right? You're a holy race. I'm a holy race, but I'm still a grizz. I'm still Czechoslovakian and English or whatever. Um, and yet, there's another reality now. So there's tension there. So it's not that I'm zapped out instantly from my earthly self and heritage, <clears throat> but there's now this spiritual reality. Same thing with royal priesthood, holy nation. You're still in your place of work, but now you see your work through a different lens. You're still here in the U.S., but you recognize that you're a part of a greater nation, an eternal nation, the nation of God. So we are to live differently. You are different, so live differently. Now, this is where it gets really interesting. Peter's gonna give us three implications, 
three reasons why it's so important that we get this. Three things that are at stake as we think about recognizing our difference and living it out. Now, the first one we probably should have seen coming. The last two may surprise you. The first reason why we should live differently is Peter says, we live differently for the glory of God. Why go through all this trouble? Wouldn't it just be easier to blend in? Wouldn't it just be easier to go the way of the world? We live this way for the glory of God. Look at verse nine. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, here it is, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Why has he done this work? That you might proclaim his excellencies. He's rescued you that you might testify to his goodness and glorify him and give him glory. And again, this, this one really shouldn't surprise us. We see this in the Old Testament where God says, I'm working for my name's sake. So I'm working for my name's sake. And this is a humbling point, but it's a reminder that ultimately this story is his story, not our story. It is first and foremost his story. It is also our story, but it is first and foremost his story. Now, I know for us that may be tough to get our minds around. It seems a little egotistical to think that God would say, all this for my glory. Saved you that you might glorify me. But as many Christian thinkers have pointed out, if God is in fact all-powerful, if God is in fact our only hope, then it is right and good that all glory arrows should point back to him. If they didn't, it would be dishonest and it would be harmful to us, right? We would be running after the wrong things. We'd be running after things that could not save. So it is important and it is good and it is right that all the glory go to him. But there's more. There's more at stake. Peter says we must live differently, not only for the glory of God, but for our own good. For our own good. Did you catch that in verse 11? Look back at verse 11 real quick. It says, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain, right, which is to, to walk away from, don't partake of them. Abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. He reminds us that when we choose to blend in, when we choose to bury our differences, when we listen to the siren call of the world, we're actually entering into something that will harm us. Now the temptation is to think it would be easier. Wouldn't it be better? I mean, I know it's not great, Derek, but wouldn't it be better maybe just to kind of blend in a little bit or make Christianity just a little bit cooler or a little bit more palatable and he says, no, 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 don't you know? The ways of the world are death. They will kill you. It's been the case on some occasions that, that people lost at sea have been tempted to drink the seawater, right? They're so thirsty. They're tempted to drink the seawater. They think, surely, 
just a little bit would help. Surely just a little sip would be better than the thirst that I'm experiencing right now. I know it's not good, but maybe a little bit would be helpful or okay. But what happens when you drink seawater? You hallucinate, you further dehydrate, and you will kill yourself if you keep drinking it. And that's how the world works sometimes. There's that allure. We know as believers, it's not good. It wouldn't be right. But surely it wouldn't be that bad to take a sip. Surely that would be a little bit better. I, I don't like sticking out like this. I don't like being so different. It's costing me, right? Peter talks about people speaking against them. But it's death. So for our own good, he says, you gotta be different. You gotta be different. Don't believe the lie that it would be easier to be the same. It wouldn't. It would lead to your death. And then the third thing we see is that there's more at stake than just ourselves. Peter says we must live differently for the glory of God, for our own good, and for the good of others. This is a part of our witness. Look back at verse 12 here. It says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So he says, you're gonna act different. Keep your ways honorable. Don't go the way of the world, right? This is just in contrast with verse 11. Abstain from those things, the passions of the flesh, but instead of those passions, now live in a way that's honorable. And when you do that, what does he say? It may be that on that last day, they glorify the Lord because of what they saw in you. People are watching us. It's our difference that testifies, not our sameness. It's our difference that speaks to the culture. I know sometimes we're, we're tempted to think, man, if we could just kind of slide in and make Christianity a little bit cooler, kind of blend in, rub elbows. But what we see in the scriptures is that it's always our difference. It's always our oddness. It's always our, 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 the fact that we stand out that testifies. So our difference is pointing people back to Jesus. Now, I think sometimes we get this a little backwards. What we want to say, we want to read this verse like this. Keep your conduct outside the Gentiles so that they will not speak against you, right? That's, that's how we'd like to read this. Or we, we, we think, keep your conduct among the Gentiles similar so they won't speak against you. But what does Peter say? He says, no, you're still gonna be among them, but you're gonna be different, and they're gonna speak, it's gonna hurt, they're gonna speak against you. So we like to think, well, let's physically remove ourselves from the world. And Peter assumes, no, 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 you'll still be among them. And we say, is there some way to remove the speaking evil part? Is there some way to avoid the, the hurt of being different? Can we remove ourselves physically? Can we... Uh, just maybe blend in so we don't get attacked. And Peter says, no, from among 
the Gentiles, from your seats where the Lord has placed you in your life, here in Knoxville, here in your place of work, here in your school, in your family. He says, from that seat, you're gonna be different. And it's gonna cost, but you're gonna point people to Jesus. And if you think I'm on thin ice here, it's, it's all through the New Testament that our, our deeds would point to the Lord. Now, there's absolutely a gospel message, right? Scriptures are crystal clear that we preach the good news. But how can you believe if you haven't heard the news? How can you call on the name of Jesus if you've never heard the name of Jesus? There is gospel content that must be preached, but the New Testament is also equally clear that it's our deeds, it's our works that adorn the gospel and make the gospel beautiful and aromatic. So Peter says it here, he's gonna say it later on when he talks about wives winning their husbands without a word. Their actions, their love, their care, their selflessness can point people back to Jesus. Jesus says this, right? Sermon on the Mount, he talks about being a, a city on a hill, a light. And he says, let your good deeds shine that they may glorify your Father in heaven. He assumes that your good deeds will point people back to Jesus. And then, of course, Paul says uh, in Titus, he tells the servants, don't steal anymore. He says, why? That they may adorn the gospel. That their activity, their work, the way they live may be an adornment to the gospel. And so, brothers and sisters, let our lives be like pearls around the gospel, right? Let's embrace our difference. Let's stand out. This is what Peter's calling us to. There's so much at stake. We are different, but it's good. Our difference, our holiness, our love, our care, our morality beautifies the gospel and points people to Jesus. So now, as we conclude, let me end where we began. If you are in Christ, you are different. You're radically different. But don't be afraid of that difference. Right? Peter wrote this letter in part because they were afraid. They were a persecuted minority. And he wrote them to remind them this difference is wonderful. Living as an exile is a good thing. And there's so much at stake. As you live differently, you are glorifying the Lord. You are blessing yourself and you are pointing others to God. So let's own that difference. Let's not bury our Christian accent. Let's not hide our true colors. Let's be different for the sake of God, for the sake of the world. And let me just say this morning, for those of you who are hungry for a different life, you've seen the brokenness of this world. Let me just remind you then of the good news of the gospel, which is that this gift, this new existence is free. And that anyone who calls on the name of Jesus may be saved. Anyone who comes to Jesus may be incorporated into this building project. And so if you're here this morning saying, I'm worn out, I need a new heritage. I need a new people group. I need a new vocation. 
I've seen the brokenness. I've blended in all these years and I've gotten sick. Well, then come to Jesus. His promise is that you will be built up. You too as a living stone now, full of life and God's power will be incorporated into his incredible redemption project. So let's do that now. Let's go to him in prayer. Father, thank you that you have made us different. And I pray that you would, by your spirit, apply from this passage what needs to be heard for each person here this morning. There may be one descriptor in this passage that needs to be applied in a special way, and I pray that you would do that, Lord. I pray that we would not succumb to the lies of the world or of the devil, that we are no different that we are unknowns. Lord, may we leave here confident that you've called us out and you've called us to a wonderful plan. So Lord, give us new eyes as we leave, as we go back into our weeks. Give us a new vision for what it means to be different and to live differently. And I pray for those who are trembling before you now. Lord, may they be emboldened to come to you. You are so gracious. You give mercy to those who had no mercy. Those of us who were orphaned and lost, you said you can be my people. I, I take you in my possession. Lord, may they hear that good news and come before you boldly because of Jesus. And we thank you for that work, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray.